Welcome to another episode of the Play On Podcast, where we are discussing education with two amazing artists who also happen to work as tireless educators. Today we have Paula Fowler from the Utah Symphony, Utah Opera, and Peter Christie from Ballet West. These two have amazing credentials, and I wish I could mention them all. Paula Fowler is currently the Director of Education and Community Outreach for the Utah Symphony, Utah Opera. Under her directorship, it has built education outreach programs to schools all throughout Utah. She also oversees the teacher, volunteer, docent, and intern training, as well as directs the company's ensemble program for young artists. Paula has taught humanities and APIB English at West High School in Salt Lake City, as well as taught in the writing program at the University of Utah. Peter Christie is currently the Director of Education and Academy Director at Ballet West. Peter grew up in New York and entered the Syracuse Ballet School at age 15, as well as joining the Hartford Ballet Teacher Training Program in Connecticut after high school. He became a member of the Ballet Corps at Ballet West in 1982 and became a solo artist in 1991, and he continues to appear as a guest artist today. Peter has taught in many different venues, as well as working on the Feel the Beat education program for Ballet West and creating the program I Can Do, which is currently in residence in 11 schools on the Wasatch Front. Peter and Paula, thank you so much for joining us for the podcast. Uh, this all started because uh, Paula is a faithful listener to the Play On podcast, and I, I, I spoke out of my ear about opera, and she corrected me. She sent uh, Education Director Michael Barr an email, and it began this amazing correspondence for me, and I, I'm, I'm still in the middle of composing a response to you, Paula, a big one that matters. <laughs> uh, it'll come soon, I promise. Uh, but we just... Well, I, I set up an education scheme in opera. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, coursework, homework, everything. It's going to be incredible. <laughs> but uh, if we can maybe get to it in the podcast, I'd like to talk about, uh, you know, because our audience is, you know, Shakespeare. So if we could maybe move into adapting literary arts, uh, specifically Shakespeare, into other art forms, uh, we'd love to do that. But I first want to give each of you a chance to uh, tell us about what you do and why you do it for, you know, Ballet West and Utah Symphony Opera. Peter? or Okay, Paula. Fired up. <laughs> um, I've been uh, the education director for Utah Opera for almost 18 years, and wow. uh, we merged with the symphony in 2002. So yeah. I've had a dozen years of experience um, with the education programs at the symphony. And yeah. uh, we'll talk more about the POPs program, which really gets all of our education programs um, underway every year. The, gotcha. We know that we can offer programs to schools, to students and teachers throughout the state at no cost to them mm -hmm. because we have about a third of our funding covered uh, through special funding through the state legislature because our state believes that students deserve the opportunity to be inspired by professional arts makers. It's such a, we're, we live in such a wonderful state. We've been really, really fortunate over the years to be so incredibly supported by um, the Utah State Legislature through the State Office of Education's POPs programs. Yeah. They have consistently applauded and supported our programming. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when when there's challenges, it's challenges that everybody's facing yeah. with budget cuts and everything. But um, the exposure that they give us and the support that they give us is really, really dynamite. And I don't think it exists in any state anywhere else in the, in the nation. That's we incredible. are in that sense. And, and it allows us 
to make plans that we stay on a rotation schedule to get throughout the entire state, mm -hmm. which is really fabulous. So um, I'll just say quickly for Utah Opera that we have five resident artists. They come to us through national auditions. We have a pianist okay. and a quartet of singers, a soprano, mezzo-soprano, tenor, and a baritone or a bass baritone. Gotcha. And uh, we have age-appropriate programs that they learn, and they, perf they perform virtually every day of the school year in a, in a school throughout oh, wow. the state. They're very, uh, like the, the Shakespeare people, you pack them and they're set. Pack them up on the road and yeah, send them on, on the, the road. Way. And um, so they usually spend uh, four or five weeks out of the metropolitan area every year. Um, oh, wow. This year in the spring, they're going to Roosevelt and uh, to Kanab yeah. uh, on, on some tours. Uh, so they travel doing programs in all of the schools. Uh, mm -hmm. We also invite uh, junior high and high school students to come to the final dress rehearsal of every opera production in the Capitol Theater. Oh, wow. Uh, that's a, an, uh, it's such an amazing evening, Peter can it's, tell you. It, it is, they it's... wear their prom clothes. You know, it's a more <laughs> dress up event than anything else. We love coming together. We have high school clubs who come together and just make a great event out of that. An opera final dress rehearsal is pretty much, it's like Shakespeare, it's yeah, like ballet. Right. It's what you get in the performance. It's, it's pretty much the opening night and it's everybody's favorite night uh, because the student audiences are so fresh in their responses to everything. And very honest. <laughs> yeah, and they love the falls and it's, it's very exciting. And then our third major program for the opera is that we train teachers in a process mm -hmm. of making original operas with their students. Oh, so wow. we have 15 to 20 classrooms every year that are creating and producing their own operas. Utah Opera hires composers to work with them and then three mm -hmm. of them get showcased in a children's opera showcase at Rose Wagner Theater. Yeah. So they get to go to a professional theater Theater, they get the dressing room with all the lights, you know, they, the excitement is is really, really wonderful. That's cool. Um, so those are our main opera programs. On the symphony side, the symphony travels around the state as well. Mm -hmm. We do 50 concerts with the symphony for um, students throughout the state. And um, there are several different programs gotcha. that travel. Um, but one that people especially remember, especially at the legislature, is that we do a concert for fifth graders in a Bravenel Hall every mm -hmm. year send out volunteers to prepare everyone for their visit yeah. to Ravenel Hall and for the concert program. And then they get their special day when they get to come. Absolutely. And it's a very memorable experience for them. We also have a youth guild and we do family concerts on Saturdays throughout the year. So yeah. we're very involved in all of those. Wow. Peter. <laughs> our programming uh, runs very similar uh, in our approach as well. We've got probably, I would say three really designated programs. Gotcha. Our first that really is our designed to be our first touch is our program that goes out to elementary schools mm -hmm. throughout the state as well. And we yeah. we target about 120 schools a year and we have a, about a five year rotation. So we, our target is that we're there once while the child's in elementary school. And so that's kind of a, a, a lecture demonstration that kind of covers a lot of material in 50 gotcha. minutes. And, uh, we have designated dancers that do the narrating and, and dancing, and it's very fast-paced, um, keeps the kids involved very well, very yeah. engaging. And uh, we travel throughout the state the same way. We pack them all into a van, you know, load our equipment in, load in, load in the school, do the performance, load it out, drive to another school, yeah. do that, and send out three groups at a time. Uh, so we have three different um, uh, vans traveling throughout the state in the weeks that we do. We don't go out every day like they do. Yeah. Um, they're designated weeks. and so. Uh, from that, uh, 
program, we then hope that they springboard to come to our in-theater presentations. Yeah. Uh, whenever we're presenting a season like Swan Lake or um, uh, Sleeping Beauty at the at the Capitol Theater, or if we have it during Weber State or down at uh, you know in St. George somewhere in a theater, we'll bus students in to see an hour-long presentation of the program that we're presenting. Awesome. So a couple of acts of Swan Lake, and usually there's and there's always an educational component that goes with it that will come out at the beginning of the program and talk about mm -hmm. some things that then help the teacher springboard back in the classroom onto other core curriculum concepts or, you know, it can, it can be math, you know, how do we break up the stage at quarters, halves, you know, lines, shapes, geography, through literature or, um, you know, stories and how they're created. How do you take a, uh, a fairy tale and make it into a ballet or yeah. you take it and ab abstract it. Uh, so there's lots of different ways to approach these ballets and make them more accessible and relatable to kids yeah. and teachers today. Along with that, when I went and saw what the opera did with their dress rehearsals, I yeah. borrowed that idea and we incorporated that e, uh, into our programming. That's very similar to those in-theater presentations, but allows the student to see the entire performance. The entire, oh, cool. That's what I was going to ask. Very so, good. so in the evenings, uh, we'll take one of our dress rehearsals and we call it our first look. Uh -huh. um, and uh, we'll do a little talk before, but a little bit more in-depth. Gotcha. We have a little more freedom because mm -hmm. they we're not so uh, bound by times. And so we'll have uh, either the choreographers or people that are involved in the production to come to talk to the students before the performance starts. And then they get to see the entire evening. So awesome. uh, we try to target older kids because it's a little harder for them to get out of school during the day. Absolutely, yeah. We also allow them to come with their parents. Um, and again, it's all free of charge. Um, like, like the opera, we, we present all of our, pro all of our programming um, at no cost to the kids. Oh, wow. And then our third program is a program that is based on Jacques Dembois' National Dance Institute that he started back in New York uh, years and years ago in, in school mm -hmm. dance education where you're working with kids in the classroom. Okay. Uh, call it I Can Do, which is an acronym standing for Inspiring Children About Not Dropping Out. Oh, excellent. So, so for us as a dance program, our priority isn't necessarily teaching them how to dance, but gotcha. using dance as a medium uh, to build self-esteem and the ability and the desire to try new things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, dance is not necessarily something that the average fifth grade boy is going to say, oh, I want to dance. Yeah, absolutely. There are some, which is great, um, but by um, providing the opportunity and providing success and creating an environment where it's safe uh, to take mm -hmm. risks, then we culminate the year with a year where everybody comes together. Uh, we have 12 schools right now, yeah. and they'll all perform uh, together. And to perform in front of their parents, you know, in front of a 1,000 people, yeah. and have the applause and people standing up and, and, and cheering for them, that's success. And if you can take power. that, yeah, it's, it's very empowering. Um, and it's it's one of my greatest nights of the year. You go and it, you just can't help but smile all night. Yeah. And you, we our goal is that these kids will transfer that experience into something else. And at fifth grade, when you start to lose that innocence and, and you start to get that jaded at, uh, attitude. And we question it, our own creativity, right? Yeah, it About kind that of age. preserves that a little bit and, mm -hmm. and gives them some tools to transfer to real life and say, hey, you know, back in fifth grade, I tried this thing that I never would have tried and I had a great time. Maybe yeah. I can try this. And so that it's more of a uh, self-esteem and, and uh, 
personality building program gotcha. rather than just a dance program. That's incredible. So those are three programs. You know, Nano, I'm sure that you're dizzy. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm trying it to. It reminds me of looking at the Shakespeare Festival education brochure yeah. as well. So many so programs many for so many it audiences is. going yeah. on. But I know Peter and Michael and I often work together on things, but we, uh, we are, are dedicated to finding ways to do teacher development opportunities to Absolutely. offer those around a lot of these uh, principal Workshops projects and traveling around mm -hmm. the state yeah, and yeah. also special audiences. We have lots of programs. And for I them. think that's, yep. that's important because uh, as we try to set these programs up, um, there's so many challenges for teachers and, and uh, yeah. school today and the students themselves uh, to get time away and to make their experience as rich as possible. So I know all of us are very flexible in offering uh, unique opportunities. So if you yeah. come to see an hour of Swan Lake, uh, we're willing to come to your school and say, how do we incorporate that in your classroom? What kind of workshop can we provide that works yeah. for that teacher? So Absolutely. we may have a cookie cutter program that says, oh, we're going to present this workshop. But oftentimes that's not what a teacher wants. They want something that's really going to um, uh, work for them that they can identify with. And we all have programs like that, that we are so willing to be flexible and create something new on the spot for each teacher. Yeah, I think that's the challenge for any performing arts uh, going into a classroom, right, is giving a teacher a, a tool set that is that they can implement. You know, it's not- Well, there's more curriculum for these uh, artistic mediums that are very difficult for the average teacher who yeah. has no experience to incorporate into the classroom. Yep. And so that is part of our mandate is to enhance that core curriculum and help teachers provide that kind of exposure to their kids. It's exciting, too, when somebody makes a unique request. Yeah. Uh, we all get to be creative. Absolutely. And we all value that, and the teachers get to be as well. It's it's very exciting. Very cool. You, you talked a little bit, Peter, about uh, self-esteem and, you know, personality and identity development. Can, can you uh, both maybe say something along those lines about why, why is it important for, for kids, you know, in their core curriculum, for instance, um, you know, math, writing, geography, things like this, don't necessarily give kids a chance to express themselves. You know, if, if you don't have an aptitude, say, for writing or presenting, <clears throat> you might not necessarily have a vehicle in, in core education that you feel like you can express yourself with or maybe make sense of the world. Um, it's not easy growing up. It, it never has been, and I don't think it's gotten any easier uh, these days. Um, can you talk? Just, just maybe a story or maybe uh, something anecdotally about how important it is for these kids to realize there's all sorts of ways and these arts can be a medium for them to express themselves and, and to make sense of the world around them. I haven't heard lots of people talking about multiple intelligences recently, but yeah. I think we still believe in it. <laughs> we'll learn in lots of different ways and yeah. uh, with a lot of the testing, there's one way of learning that's being tested and a lot of teachers, especially the ones that I work with on original opera projects, yeah. where it's an ongoing project, maybe every Friday afternoon, they get to work on opera, where they get to make up their own story together and debate about, you know, there's not an answer already. Um, it, I know that a lot of teachers use that as motivation for their kids, use their opera yeah. project as motivation. And it gets kids excited to come to school because they get to make something yeah. and they don't already know that there's, you know, a wrong answer. There isn't a wrong answer. Yeah. Um, 
that they're going to figure out um, something together. For ESL kids, it's a great opportunity for mm -hmm. them to learn something where they repeat language over and over, they write a song together, and they really get to own the words that they've put into that. Um, it's a really great um, experience for them. Uh, so I, I, a lot of teachers use it as motivation. I'm also thinking about the El Sistema program. Have you heard of that? No, uh, no. I haven't, no. It's a great um, after-school orchestra program that was started in Venezuela, and it's actually sweeping the orchestra world. It's an after-school music program, and it's a, for social change. Okay. So empowering people by helping them make music to learn how to play instruments. Um, and Dudamel, who's the conductor uh, at the Los Angeles Phil, came out yeah. of that program and in his 20s became the conductor of the Los Angeles Philharmonic. And he's still there, and he's, wow. he's just got... Uh, a lot of energy and a lot of ideas and creativity that he's brought um, to the Los Angeles area in orchestral music. But everybody in, you know, all the symphony orchestras are trying to figure out how do we become part of that? How can we help empower people yeah. um, by making music? And I, I really believe that when you even making a note on an, a recorder, you're making a sound that nobody else has made before because you're making it mm -hmm. and you make own melody there is and you know learning Shakespeare learning ballet steps uh, doing something in an opera production yeah. you do something that hasn't been made before you did it and that I love thinking of that sense of power that goes into so many young people yeah. because of the program <clears throat> and I think it also provides a, a different way of learning you know you have so many kids that learn differently yeah. than each other and Oftentimes when we have, for, for like in our I Can Do program, we work with fifth graders and it's that age when the attitude starts to, to, to show up and you have kids that are calling for attention by yeah. know, attitude to the teacher, I'm not going to do this or whatever. Yep. And there's, there's so many great tools that when we're in that classroom and we're working with these kids that you can turn that around because those kids are leaders, but heading maybe down the wrong path, Yeah, you know, leading kids for trouble and you can, you know, turn that around by saying, okay, it's clear you don't want to dance, so fine. You don't have, we tell them, they don't have to dance, but they have to participate in class. Excellent. So if they're really giving us a lot of problem, we'll pull them up to the front of the room and we'll say, okay, you're going to come hang up here. You're not allowed to dance. You're not allowed to dance. So you stand up here and you don't get to sit down and be comfortable and check out. <laughs> uh, what we want to do is you're going to watch everybody. Yeah. And you're going to assess and you're going to tell us who did it right and who did it wrong. Well, kids love to be able to do that. Yeah. But by, but by judging, they have mm -hmm. to understand what the steps are supposed to be yeah. to say who's right and who. So they're learning. And so you, as you kind of trick them into saying, okay, well, what are they doing wrong? What's the step? Well, show me what the step is. Yeah. Okay. Then, then they start doing the step and then they start to dance and you're like, and they're, okay, but you don't get to dance anymore. So just stay <laughs> here on the side and we'll work on with the class. You kind of just let them hang out and you kind of keep coming back that way. And finally, they're, they're engaged because they're watching and they're paying attention and, mm -hmm. and such, you know, within a few weeks they're participating and they become leaders in the right way. Excellent. You, and so you can kind of manipulate the situation into a positive and, and take those kids that are natural leaders yeah. instead of goofing off and causing problems, they learn how to harness it and, and go in the right direction. Well, and you're also introducing them to the, the workshop atmosphere, it sounds like, to giving right. and receiving Work constructive feedback. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Another one that stands out for me that's one of my favorite experiences. We did. We were doing uh, a presentation of Cinderella. Mm -hmm. 
uh, Ben Stevenson's from, uh, he was with uh, Houston Ballet and now he's at Texas Ballet Theater, has this beautiful production of Cinderella. And in the production, Cinderella brings in a beggar woman and sits her down by the fireplace yeah. and um, <clears throat> offers her some bread. Gotcha. And so we did a little social experiment on one of our first look nights that just was so incredible and, and uh, touching. I dressed up. We have a lot of homeless people in downtown Salt Lake City. And mm -hmm. I, I went to the DI, picked up some clothes and roughed them up and put on makeup and, and totally didn't look like myself and was out in front <laughs> of the theater as the patrons came in for our dress rehearsal. And I didn't engage them directly, but I had a bag with uh, a lot of um, old ratty clothes and a hole in the bottom. And, and I would rummage in the bag and have something fall out and walk around. And it was interesting to see the different reactions of people as they came into the theater with this homeless person in front of the theater and how they would either pull out their phones and get busy and ignore uh -huh. or would, you know, say, hey, you dropped something. Or some people would actually bend down and pick it up and hand it back to me and say, you dropped this. Are you OK? Do you need anything? Uh -huh. And it blew me away for myself. But to watch their interactions with. Uh, this character outside before they went into the theater. Yeah. You know, small moment. And then they all come in and we see them all up in the balcony. So they have a great view. And um, I had another educator who was talking to all the, the audience members that had come in. And uh, I had one of the ushers usher me in to the theater. Yeah. And it was all lit. And there's we had staged a few empty seats. And she showed me where to sit. You can see them all getting uncomfortable. Okay, this guy's going to sit right next to me. He probably smells really bad. And <laughs> I, went the, I went for the woman that was like the most uncomfortable. And I went and sat right next to her. And uh, Maggie, who was talking, said, the minute I turned the corner, she lost everybody's focus, was all focused on me as I came in. <laughs> Didn't matter what she would have said. Yeah. Uh, so I sat down and she kept talking and they still, it was hard to get their focus again. And then I got up about five minutes later, walked down to her and um, and they're all like, okay, what's going to happen? This guy's a loose cannon. Yeah. And I started taking everything off. And she hands me the microphone. She, I said, hi, welcome. I'm Peter Christie. I welcome. I invited you all to. And they're like, oh, you know, you see him smacking their heads. <laughs> like, oh, okay. okay, what's going on here? So we use that opportunity to say, I'm not going to tell you what you're supposed to do with a homeless person, but here you're coming to a ballet that talks about qualities you know cinderella is a good person and because of her, her goodness and her kindness she's rewarded yeah um but is it really smart to bring a homeless person into your home and seat them at your fireplace and give them food I what would we, we have do a personal yeah salt lake city example yeah the yeah. dangers of it. yeah <laughs> yeah so, so you want so i'm not saying this is what you should do but by coming to the valley and you go hey my kids are coming downtown we're gonna how do I want them to interact yep. with situation? What what do we do as a family? So it opens the dialogue. So instead of just you know tutus and tiaras, it gives you an opportunity at the ballet or at the opera to then spring with your own family about what would we do in this situation? How does this impact us? So something you wouldn't necessarily expect, but a great opportunity to then take something as elite as the ballet and make yeah. it very very human. Mm -hmm. You know it very accessible and that's what's really amazing with art that you can really make it relatable to today and what's happening that's awesome well, probably people who went to that production felt something really personalized in that scene right and then had a more pers a closer experience with the ballet story right and then th that sets up 
the possibility that they can have that same kind of experience with a very different story right. uh, because they've been there once. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. Could you talk a little bit about the intersection of, of different art forms of how uh, maybe a, you know a written text hundreds of years old can inform uh, you know a musical performance, an opera performance, uh, a dance performance? What, what what's the process of uh, telling a story without language? Telling a story people may or may not be familiar with, with something uh, that's totally alien to them. I know you've both been involved in adapting, you know, one art form sort of into another art form. And what are some of the challenges and what are the benefits of doing that? Well, Shakespeare was such a master at the word, you yeah. know. Um, but those stories as a storyline are so easily transformed into other art forms. Ballet has done it over and over. Romeo and Juliet. Uh, yeah. Tempest, Othello, Midsummer Night's Dream, they're all phenomenal ballets and through movement, through dance, um, you know, they've been interpreted a, a myriad of ways, you know, hundreds of different ways. Um, and they're all successful. Yeah. You know, it the basis of his storytelling uh, really transfers very, very well to the other art forms. I'm excited to talk about the opera connection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there have been dozens of operas written on the Romeo and Juliet story, yeah. uh, including, you know, West Side Story, which is a kind of opera. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the one that uh, gets performed over and over is by Charles Gounod, uh, his Romeo and Juliet. That's the one people love. And so we do that one. Yeah. Um, there is a Hamlet. I know by a French composer, but I have not seen it. Okay. So uh, there's something for my future. <laughs> yeah. There was really great production, a new production uh, that was uh, broadcast in the Met in HD, live at the movies. Uh, I remember I remember that, seeing that in a trailer, yeah. Oh, called Enchanted Island, and it was an homage to Baroque opera. The, um, the singers and the, uh, the creative team went through all these old Baroque operas and mostly found uh, arias, <laughs> the solos and ensemble numbers that uh, weren't really famous. Um, and yet projected a real strong emotion. And then they took the story of the Tempest and the story <laughs> of, um, is it much? What's the one with the four? Is it Midsummer Night's Dream with the, the loving pastoral. couple? Yeah, at the end? yeah. So yeah. Mid took them on a boat and they went out traveling <laughs> at the end and they got caught in the Tempest. So all of them end up on the island and poor little Miranda, who's under the magic spell, <laughs> falls in love with each of the men progressively until she finds her way to Ferdinand. I just loved it. It was such <laughs> lovely work with having fun with the story, yeah. but picking up using the actual story, but then playing around with it. I, it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. But you cannot talk about opera and Shakespeare without talking about Giuseppe Verdi, who loved Shakespeare. He loved yeah. the stories. He didn't speak any English. Yeah. So he's just working from Italian translations and making his own adaptation, which you do. Music takes so much longer. And if a Shakespeare play yeah. is already hours long, you, you have to do some <laughs> focusing. <laughs> Absolutely. Rain it in. And, you know, working through translation, that's probably a little easier uh -huh. to focus just on the drama and not on the wordplay that might be going on. Uh -huh. uh, but as a young man, he wrote a Macbeth, which I love, uh, even though the witches are an entire chorus. I sing in the opera chorus, so I got to be <laughs> one of the witches. And 
So there are like 30 witches, you know, that's a, that's a pretty powerful scene. Yeah. Um, so Macbeth, um, he wrote um, an Otello toward the end of his career, which is just, just so amazing. Starts right with, the, uh, skips Act One. Act oh, one. wow. Starts with the storm. Right to the fury, yeah. Yeah, and with the chorus, you know, so it's a really dramatic opening. It's like a Tempest opening. Gotcha. You know, yeah. start right with the storm. Um, and uh, he didn't write a King Lear, but he really wanted to, and I... I did not know that. Oh, he, he his life ended without his having done that, but he, he played around it uh, from time to time, and I think it would have been beautiful. But yeah. what I, uh, the one I especially love is his Falstaff, which is based on the Merry Wives of Windsor, yep. but has a few of the lines from the Henry plays. It does, um, the tavern scene, yeah. It's whole thing but um you know in Mary Wives of Windsor I confess here on radio there are too many jokes played on him I feel so bad for him <laughs> it's like one too many yeah deserve that third dressing down so in the opera actually there are just two jokes gotcha played him, including <laughs> the laundry basket and and the scenic one out in the forest and it ends it's it's the last opera by Verdi and it ends with a, a laughing chorus which is just brilliant as a fugue. It's just so delightful and so like Falstaff. There's, I, there's no victim. Everyone's laughing together, correct? It's fantastic. Awesome. Um, and I want to point out, um, you talk so much and with so much knowledge about uh, Shakespeare being adapted into other art forms. I just want to point out for all of our listeners um, that this is one of the ways we keep our favorite stories alive. This is one of the reasons why Shakespeare and, and Marlowe and all these uh, Goethe why these stories are still such a big deal because other art forms took them and and you know put it through their lens and told their version of this story and i think that's a big part of why um you know our cultural fabric our archetypes i don't think a play that's just a play uh reaches as much uh, gets a, as many people attached to these ideas unless these ideas and, the, and these stories are filtered through other art forms that makes sense well, they're, I'm, I'm, they're so human mm -hmm. you know shakespeare such a long time ago, yeah. But still so relatable. You know, to take like a story like Romeo and Juliet and, uh -huh. and convert it to a West Side Story yep. and see, that, you know, that is as contemporary as you can get. You know, mm -hmm. and make it really relatable. And and today, I think we're constantly looking for uh, that humanness mm -hmm. uh, is shown to us in different ways. Absolutely. And for me. Um, I have a special, I, my birthday is April 23rd, which is Shakespeare's uh -huh. birthday. Uh -huh. and so I, like, <laughs> Guilty. To, yeah. And so, uh, I, I, you know, I've been involved in three different productions of Romeo and Juliet and uh, as a dancer and uh, always have a special connection to that one as well. It's just, it's just, it's so, so amazing. That's There's Tchaikovsky and Prokofiev, right? Prokofiev, Prokofiev tends to be the favored uh, uh, music for most productions of uh, Romeo and Juliet, but mm -hmm. uh, I've done two different pr productions of Midsummer Night's Dream, yeah. uh, Valentine's and, and Ashton's, and again, it's I actually played Bottom uh, in the Dream, <laughs> Ashton's Dream, where awesome. I actually had to dance on point. Um, and usually, men don't have to do that with a donkey. With a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. We don't make it easy on ourselves, do we? So it's interesting to consider all this uh, thinking that uh, music can carry 
some of the weight of the text in the same way that in a if you film something absolutely there are some things that you don't have to establish through language that shakespeare would have had to because it all is in the language yep um, but the music and the ballet movement, the emotion in the human voice, and what the composer has done in the orchestra can also carry a lot of that weight of the language. That's it's incredible. interesting to see yeah. if you think that works. And when we go to a production, we get to test it out for ourselves. That's incredible. I, uh, I say this a lot. I, I really mean it. I could sit here and talk to you both all day. It's <laughs> so, it's so like, I know our listeners are going to love this, number one, and selfishly for myself. I'm just soaking it in. I still have so much to learn. Uh, obviously, Paula, you helped point that out to me. Um, <laughs> I, I hope maybe in the future we can do this again. Yeah. You know? I loved your analogy about the Lego castle. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the truth. I, I think there's a value uh, to people, to, to the things we assume, you know, being taken down a peg or two. So we have to think deeply about the things that really matter. Uh, that helps. I think that helps us develop. So... Well, and I feel like I go, I attend the Shakespeare Festival that yeah. way every year. I've been attending for more than three decades, and uh, I most of the the production, or uh, not the productions, most of the plays I've seen yeah. before. But I'm always looking at a new production with new actors, a new take on it, um, to get my brain spinning. And your own life experiences change yeah. how you things too how you saw it 10 years ago could be very different how you see it today absolutely right. we're, we're we are half the text the audience is half the text right yeah, absolutely. so thank you both so much uh we All really right. appreciate Our, it we hope we can do this again maybe in person in the future huh. thank you okay thank, thank you thank you again for listening to the play on podcast we wish you a happy holiday and we'll see you again in january